Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. Well, welcome, my friends. Thank you again for listening to another edition of The Coaching Show. My name is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach, because you have to say it that way in your radio voice. Uh, I'm here with, uh, in coming to you live from lockdown. Uh, joining us today, as often happens, although not always, you can't always count on it, but most of the time, is Alex Terranova, also known as the Uh-oh. Dream Mason. Hello. You can't always count on him, but often you can. What a way to set me up. You do you want me to start over? Do you do you feel like I disparaged you, <laughs> no, Mr. No, Turner? No, no, I think it's great. I'm not sensitive like that, but I was just like, wow. It's like, way to, way to just like ask me to come out of my house and hit me with a bus right when I come out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I will spend the rest of my day trying to make up for that and some similar things that I've mentioned to my wife uh, by by accident. This is exactly what happens in my marriage, by the way. I'm not <laughs> suggesting that you should propose. I'm just saying this is what happens. Um, what I meant to say was that people can't always count on you being here as our co-host because you're a very busy man. You've got a busy life. You've got your own podcast, right? Like yeah. you got places to be. Yeah. we. I mean, we've been doing this pretty consistently for like a year at least, I'm guessing. Mm, feels like long. Oh, see, I did it again. <laughs> okay, so uh, tell the people uh, you've written a book. You have a website, thedreammason.com. Yeah, I just I actually re just launched some, my website with some updates, thedreammason.com. I wrote a book called Fish, Fictional Authenticity last year. Um, I have a course called Fictional Authenticity. I have a free. Uh, authenticity audit can people can take that is all about like how are they showing up are they actually being authentic and is it serving them got a podcast called the dream mason podcast that you've been on we had to we had to edit a lot of that episode but don't let anybody on there yeah yeah yeah, we'll let pretty much um i have a a new podcast this is probably i guess some exciting news uh i have a new podcast called flip the lens and uh steve weatherford just booked to be on there um I don't know if you know who Steve Weatherford is. You, you said it like I should, but I don't. Steve Weatherford was the, uh, he's a NFL kicker who kicked for the uh, New York Giants when they won the Super Bowl. Um, but he, I think he has two Super Bowl rings. He also was deemed the fittest man in the NFL while he was a kicker. Hmm. And he's gone on to launch a huge empire in the fitness industry post-retiring from the NFL in his early 30s. Let's go back. Where, what year was that, that the New York Giants won the Super Bowl? Uh, I mean, what, yeah, see, that's beat, my point. Well, they right beat, they beat, hey, they beat the Patriots. I think <laughs> okay. twice. I think they beat the Patriots twice. Like, who beats the Patriots twice in the Super Bowl? Oh, look at the time. It's checkout time already. <laughs> um, okay. I, uh, <laughs> thank you for bringing, you know what? Actually, I'm grateful that you're bringing sports into any conversation these days because there's not much happening, right? We're all suffering. Terrible. No, when you're when you're lining up your kids in the hallway and you're like race to get some action, <laughs> <laughs> and then comment on it. And, you and your yeah. wife are throwing money down in a little. <laughs> <laughs> when we're not teaching them how to play dice in the back, yeah. Um, okay, uh, here's what we should talk to the people about. I'm sure I'm sure everybody's tuned out already, so we're going to have to start over. Um, uh, a few things: the many conferences are going on virtually, 
right? So uh, the Conversation Among Masters conference is not only going virtually, but they're giving you full credit for your registration for next year. Amazing. The Association of Coach Training Organizations, ACTO, is having their conference in June, and they're going full virtual with your choice. You can let them keep the money or not. I did in answer to your next question. And um, then uh, you remember this is my year. I was, I was slated to speak uh, in Paris at the EMCC International Conference, right? Mm -hmm. And I was so excited and I got my little tickets and used all my wiles to upgrade everything. And, um, and they have finally, I think they had to wait till whatever the law changed or something. So they finally said that the EMCC International Conference will be virtual and I'll be presenting in that. So you can enjoy it from the comfort of your own living room or whoever's living room you're in those days. All right. Um, anything else that we need to announce or tell people? The ICF core competency change was supposed to go into effect at the end of this year. They're now suggesting that they will delay that because of the pandemic and the impact of that. Of course, all the coach training organizations have gone virtual and that the ICF has said that that all counts. And the other thing is um, the PCC markers training. Do you remember this? Did you do this? I have not done it I, because I just it's, applied for my PCC. Right. It's for people who, who evaluate coaches, right? By the way, nice drop. Let's catch that again. What? I just applied for my PCC. Congratulations. Five years in. Nice job. <laughs> Congratulations. That's really a big deal. Um, the, the way they evaluate PCC uh, coaching is changing to a marker-based, more of an ISO setup. Uh, where there are specific behaviors that we're tracking as opposed to your impression of the coaching. Anyway, all of this to say that that was supposed to take place next year. What they, you know how organizations, and we'll talk with our uh, guest about this in a minute, organizations have left-hand, right-hand problems. So mm -hmm. on the one hand, they were changing how they evaluated coaching. On the other hand, they changed the PCC uh the, all the core competencies, but they didn't tell the people training how to listen to them about the new core competencies. So they're working that all out now, and they'll have a new PCC marker training coming out in October. All right. Do you feel like you're up to speed? I do. I have, you know, so many questions now about all these things, but yeah, I'm up to speed. I'm very excited about having David Noor with us. Do you want to introduce him? Do you want the extreme privilege of doing that? No, this is your job. I love that you you always try to like like pass off your job to me at the last minute. There's no there's no prep like hey Alex, we're gonna do it different today. You're I'd like to apologize to our single listener for all the whining that you're hearing today. All right. The author of 10 books working on his 11th book. Imagine this. Imagine you're born in a different country, you immigrate as a teenager and no fluency in the language. This gentleman has gone on not only to go to college like some of us did, but uh went on to earn an MBA from the place I can't pronounce at Emory, Goizueta uh, Business School. He's a senior leadership and board advisor, a researcher, an executive educator, and a best-selling author. We're delighted to welcome to our microphone, David Noor. Hello, sir. It is uh, good to be with you, too. Uh, it, it's, it's, you're the modern-day version of Laurel and Hardy. I got to tell you, it's, it's, I know which uh, one it's I am. Fun, fun being around these two dynamic guys. Well, well thank you so much. Thanks for having much. me. My pleasure. Thanks for being had. Uh, are, you, are you sheltering in place? Are you locked down? Are you? I have been. I was on the road 208 days last year. I've been grounded since uh, end of February. So, yes, the wife is asking, when are you getting on a plane again? Uh, <laughs> But yes, I, I, I am uh, I'm sheltering in home in Atlanta, 
Uh, wife is uh, working from home. Kids, I have a senior in high school oh. uh, and a sophomore in high school. So they've Ouch. been doing remote learning. Yes, we're all, we're all home. Boys, girls, what do we got? I have a daughter who's graduating. She's headed to Georgia Tech in the fall. And a uh, yeah. son uh, who's a lacrosse player, 6'2", and uh, he's the sophomore. Wow. Um, Georgia State, is that Bulldogs? Uh, Georgia, Georgia Tech is Yellow Jackets. Yes, Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech. I'm sorry. I don't listen. There's it's killer a, hornets it's, coming it's, from Japan. They're going to the Yellow, yellow Jackets. It's all happening. Wow. All right. <laughs> Uh, I, I, even with that uh, intro, I undersold you. You're an adjunct professor at the Guizet uh, Business School at Emory University, as well as Vanderbilt University's Owen Graduate School of Management. You're, you've got lots of awards, including uh, you're one of Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Global Coaches and a Forbes, Forbes Leadership Contributor on the Future of Work. Um, what's got your attention these days? You've you talked to a lot of leaders of a lot of organizations, and I don't sure. want to presume anything. So what are you hearing? People no, I, are dealing I, with. Sure. And, and uh, I think at the time of the recording of this, you know, we've gone through beyond the initial shock, right? So initially it was shock on demand, then it was shock on supply, then uh, really understanding that this is not going to be a blip. It's going to be, you know, I think, and that's where we are is this is going to be with us. Uh, and I genuinely believe from my conversation with executives is this is with us for the next 12 to 18 months, right? A lot of fear around, I'm concerned around the second wave of this coming in the fall and winter when it's a heavy cold and flu season. So what I'm energized by, what I'm excited by are really forward-thinking leaders who are using CO-19 as an impetus for a new norm, for really thinking differently about uh, if our business is predicated by physical proximity, we better think differently about that value creation, that value delivery. If, you know, what I'm in the, you know, restaurant business, the, I mean, I thought bowling alleys were petri dishes before all this and going back to a bowling alley or people didn't <laughs> care, people didn't care for the middle seat of a plane before all this. So, exactly. yeah. you know, Warren Buffett just dumped all of his airline holding because he doesn't believe in four to five years, people are going to fly like they were this past January. So conferences, events, I think those are sporting events. Uh, I think those are going to struggle to kind of come back. And what does that look like? And so a lot of, a lot of, this is a, if innovation was a luxury and if it was on a shelf and we would get to it at some point, it just became necessity. It became front and center. And it's, it's not just an innovative product or service. What I get most excited about are folks that are looking at reimagining, if not reinventing their business models. Uh, and that's exciting. And that's, uh, which adds a whole different, opens a whole different can of worms of capability and competency and how do we move with speed and agility. And, but it is a, it is a, I mean, that the, the uh, human effects of this pandemic aside, it's an exciting time if you think about it as an opportunity to innovate, as an opportunity to, to think and lead differently. Well, you've anticipated my my next question precisely, which is that at least uh, you know in the in the work that Alex and I do, we we most often talk in our in our world to one on one in sort of an intimate and confidential space to executives or organizational leaders, and what we're dealing with is the personal impact, right? Lots of grief, fear, of sometimes terror, um, or uh, 
even even I I'm going to say because I'm not a diagnostician, but what looks to me like PTSD, right? This came on so suddenly, a lot of people in at least shock from it. And so I hear you say, and I think it's a brilliant thing that it's time to for businesses to dig in, reimagine and reinvent their business model, almost like it's the perfect time to do some sort of fundamental infrastructure changes. But how can we do that while people are walking around in kind of a zombie-like, you know, uh, the impact? No, no question. Uh, a good friend is a guy named Peter Bregman, who's written a book called Leading with Emotional Courage. And when I asked him about emotional courage, I love his comment that I think be very relevant to you and your audience. And he said, if you don't allow yourself to feel everything, soon you won't feel anything. So absolutely for every leader that they have to feel the shock, they have to feel the uncertainty, the all, all those things that come. But I was talking to an executive the other day and I said, if you've ever been fired or laid off, you have two options, right? I'm either gonna uh, right, get in a fetal position and think about could have, should have, would have, all the stuff I could have done differently and regrets and all that, or, I can put that energy into what is the next new opportunity going to look like? How do I learn from that and move forward? And, and the, the couple of key attributes about this particular disruption, obviously, it's not a sector. It's not geographic. It's, this is the entire globe is struggling with this. And great leaders are the ones that are uh, moving with incredible speed and agility yet they're patient to act and decide based on the information that's available to them. One of the biggest challenges with this is that none of us have a crystal ball. None of us know and see what's happening. So how can you decide? How can you make decisions that, by the way, could have a ripple effect and impact a lot of other people based on, again, the information that you have? So best possible, I love the definition of strategy by A.G. Laffley best possible choices for the best possible outcome. And I think leaders beyond how they feel, beyond where they are, that awesome responsibility, if not incredible opportunity, to lead others with best possible choices for the best possible outcome with the information they have. David, I'm curious how you, I'm looking at your website as I'm listening to you, and I'm curious how you put this into play in your, in your business. Sure. So, so easiest way to think about what I do is as I, I really act as, a, uh, as an innovation enabler, innovation engine to fuel the growth of my clients, their personal growth, their team's growth, their organizational growth, their profitable growth. And I tend to bring an acute understanding of the relationship dynamics, right? So what relationships do you have? Which ones do you need? Which ones are critical to accelerating this journey from now to next? And that becomes an enabler of those initiatives moving forward, right? So somebody else called me the rocket fuel attached to your shuttle to get you into orbit, right? So you, the shuttle can't get there by themselves and the rocket fuels by themselves are useless. But if you can think about that relationship, if you think of that dynamic, um, you know, how do you do that? So uh, the beautiful part about my world uh, is I don't need 50 clients. I need five. And my interest is, you know, I, I, I learned years ago that the clients that I'm most attracted to, the clients that I do the best work with are tough, they're smart, 
they don't spend a lot of cycles defending the status quo. They're always challenging it. And they're always looking for not just iteration, which is how do we do things better, but they're passionate about innovation, which is doing new things. And you do enough of that ultimately leads to disruption, which is doing new things that makes the old obsolete. So again, I've never believed innovation to be a department or function. It's a mindset first and foremost by these leaders. And uh, last Christmas, I actually went back and looked at um, last 100 client engagements and the definitive delineation between those that really took off and really implemented and really did things differently and those that did okay was one attribute, a visionary leader who said, there's gotta be a better way. We're gonna invest in a portfolio approach to different business models. We're willing to kill a 999 flowers so we can invest in that one oak tree. And I don't need a battalion, I need a SEAL Team 6. How do we move quickly? How do we hypothesize? How do we use inquiry and experimentation? How do we test a lot of things? How do we kill a lot of things that just aren't gonna go anywhere? and invest in a few things that are really gonna make a big difference. It feels, uh, sorry, Alex, if you had a follow-up, uh, jump in here, but for me, it feels hard to, for most leaders to take that on right now. Do you know, and most of us are working on stabilizing our revenue or trying to figure out you know, what, what changes we need to make in sort of the contraction of our business, yep. right? Yep. And you're you're pointing to innovation, which feels like expansion, kind of a uh, 180 degrees difference. Perfect. How do you Perfect. how how can yep. we as coaches support people in sort of doing both? I guess is great, my question. Great, great question. Your question was based on the supposition that innovation should come at the cost, or in lieu of, or it's either or. So let's just right. take your right. Right. Let's, let's, opposed. To you. Yeah, let's take, let's take your revenue contraction a second. So I spoke to a CEO of a restaurant company, right? Uh, the business is down by 90%, right? These are, these are high, these are not quick serve restaurants. These are high-end restaurants where people are not coming in, right? Most people can, can relate to that. So, uh, and they have a number of restaurants with two of them. Uh, we're taking a systems thinking approach to that restaurant. And by that, I mean, nobody's coming in. So you don't need the, the tables and the chairs and the space. So let's use that space for additional cold storage and prep. Nobody's coming to the location. So let's use the parking lot as, a, as to build a drive-through. Uh, I don't wanna, he doesn't wanna lay off the staff. So let's retrain them on operations and logistics and delivery. Uh, the top menu items, the chefs have now created meal kits. Now they can deliver meal kits. So you can prepare your top menu items you like from us through a meal kit. Beyond using social and online videos for marketing, they've actually are launching a membership site where you pay for your kids, for your teenagers to learn how to cook as well as how for you to prepare those meal kits. And they're partnering with a couple other restaurants to both extend their hours and serve quality meals to healthcare workers that are working odd hours. So my, my question to you is number one, I've never seen a company cut its way to growth. Number two, 
what other choice do you have? His business is down by 90%. That is not sustainable. So unless you see innovation as a chance to recover that revenue, keep your talent, that's exactly why it's so relevant right now. I can recover that revenue, I can keep my talent, and I can dramatically elevate my brand based on my core competencies. Their core competency was those 10 menu items. The fact that they were able to quickly pivot and make meal kits out of it only complements or supplements the delivery and the pickup that all the other restaurants are doing. The fact that they're creating a video membership for their chefs and sous chefs to teach our teenagers who I'm dating myself. We used to take home economics classes That's and right. shop classes in high school. Remember those That's, days? Yeah, yeah. Right? And most teenagers couldn't, couldn't boil an egg if they tried, right? So how do, how, do we now, how do we now help them use this opportunity? They're home, right? And yep. they're, they're, they're hopefully sufficiently competent to be able to turn on the oven and stove and cut things. So let's, let's teach them lifelong skills that will come in handy right about now. And this is an example of a restaurant who's taking a piece of its business and they're thinking very innovatively about how do we get out of this, not just the current storm, but think about the other side of this and how do we recover from this scenario? It's a beautiful answer. Alex? There's, I feel like, you know, you guys are, um, I want to talk to coaches a little bit because I feel like we're having a, like a, um, a conversation to the business owners, to bigger business owners, um, which is really interesting. I feel like I'm sitting here like ingesting information and learning a lot. I'm curious how we can put this into play because most of the audience are, are coaches at different stages of, of their career and how they can, what they can learn from you that they could bring to their, to their clients right now. Yep, so let me give you three. Uh, Number one, if your coaching is predominantly delivered in person, I, again, I, I, I just don't think we're going to be getting on planes and going to see people anytime soon. So you've got to adapt that business model quickly. Uh, number two, uh, you know, Zoom and GoToMeeting and Microsoft Teams and Web, all that stuff is great. You've got to figure out a way to create a more engaging, more immersive experience through digital. Right now, a lot of technology is kludgy. So I was talking to somebody who was coaching an executive and the guy's head, he was talking about his client's head was down and the coach I was talking to thought the video was frozen. Whereas the executive back on Chris's comment was actually in tears. He had just laid off 90% of the sales force. So the coach could have easily just ignored that if you hadn't looked really closely to see the guy's head was down and he was, he was really upset. So that's why I said the technology is a little kludgy. So you got to explore how else can I immerse myself? How can I immerse the people I'm coaching in that scenario? Uh, the third one is you have to. You have to expand your portfolio of services to diversify the kinds of coaching, the type of coaching, the geographic reach that you coach. I'm doing a lot right now, a lot of 90-day coaching, kind of crisis leadership coaching sprints. My typical engagement, six to 12 months. But you know what? In this period, again, when there's limited information, none of us have a crystal ball, and that client is getting data points on a daily basis, they need that sounding board. So our conversations are about 15 minutes, and it's what's on your agenda today? That's a great idea. Here's something to think about. Let me ask you a question here. That's it. 
And that sounding board becomes really useful versus the longer term behavioral changes or strategic thinking that I may do in other part of my coaching opportunities. That 90 day gives people a window to really use their coach, benefit from their coach as a sounding board, particularly if you bring some breadth and depth to their scenario or to this environment, or if you've been through crises, you become incredibly valuable. Alex, does that make sense? Does that resonate? It's, yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, we, Christopher and I have been talking about this on the last few episodes about new ways and trying new things. Um, so yeah, no, it's great. Is there, you know, I want to, I want to, there's one other thing I want to touch on while we're speaking to coaches is you've written 10 books. I think you said mm -hmm. when we started. Yeah. So yeah. almost every coach I know wants to write a book. And almost sure. every and almost every coach I know talks about how they can't get focused, they don't have the time. So, what are the the tips that you have to get them actually to writing, producing, and and actually creating? You've done yeah. it ten times. How do they do it once? Yeah. Number one, uh, I'm a big believer that we're all products of the advice we take. So, a mentor drove into me years ago. Uh, unless you tell me otherwise, you're not writing Harry Potter. <laughs> so, you're never going to get wealthy writing books. Uh, know your why. Know why you're writing a book. For me, uh, there are an opportunity to share ideas, synthesize ideas, and create market gravity or market pull for my particular area of expertise. So number one, develop, nurture a deep domain expertise before you become an author, speaker, anything else, a distant second, right? So an expert first. Number two, uh, books for me take about four years to percolate. I often start with a question. And uh, so this next one is called Curve Benders. It's at the intersection of future of work and strategic relationships. I I'm 52. The question for me was, what will work look like in the next 20 years? So I embarked on research. of six grad students that are doing social science research for me. And we've identified 15 forces that we believe will create either headwind, tailwind, or turbulence in the future of work. And for all of us to remain relevant, you have to continue to learn and grow. So I believe certain relationships come in and profoundly change both our direction and destination. All of that to say, have a hypothesis, have a, a, a question or a, a query that you're passionate about, you're curious about, and you're willing to invest the necessary time to really dig deep into. Most people who wanna write a book, and I'm making a very sweeping generalization, are not willing to do the incredibly difficult work necessary to create a quality product. And writing a decent book is half the battle, right? Researching it, executive interviews, I typically interview 100 to 200 senior executives from my books. We bring in case studies, we bring in examples. You heard we bring in social science research. I want that book to mean something. So once you write a decent book, you might as well, right? Just put it on the shelf for yourself if you're not gonna market it, which is the next thing. And I've published commercial through commercial publishers. I've done self-publishing. Marketing and promoting that book is the other half of the battle. And you've gotta create awareness. You've gotta create unequivocally, you have to start with a good product. But if you also promote it, so I have a podcast, Curve Benders Podcast, uh, this past January. Back in the good old days of January 2020, when we used to go out and speak, I had booked 22 speaking engagements on a book I haven't written yet. 
And the idea is get that idea out there, talk to people about it, share ideas about it, because it becomes richer with their feedback, with their input. So I'm blogging, I've got a podcast, I've got a newsletter, I'm out speaking about, certainly I've researched a topic and I know what I want to say, but a lot of our contemporaries will write a book and then get out and talk about it. I learn as much about my own books after they come out because people will talk to you and push back and reference other things they've read. And again, it becomes richer. So use the expert first, find, really be inquisitive, really, really be curious about something. Invest the time, effort, resources to write a great book, promote the heck out of it, talk about it early and often, and, and, uh, and be open to ideas and suggestions by those you respect, you trust, because they'll help you make it richer. I love that. <clears throat> I appreciate especially the call for expertise because I don't know about you, but I've read a lot of reasonably bad books lately. <laughs> Or the ones that are motherhood and apple pie, right? We should we should really build a collaborative culture. Really, you know, I've never met anybody that says we don't want you know we want the worst people. We're not going to make great products, and we want awful employees, and we don't want them to ever talk. So let's get beyond the motherhood and apple pie and really dig into. um, And and I love I've always said convey your credibility with the questions you ask, Mm. not necessarily the solutions you provide. Right. So I, I love you know, books that I read that makes you think and make you ask questions. That's interesting. I wonder what part of my life I need to pay closer attention to or what part of my behaviors I'm not doing. Do you have, uh, this is a terrible thing to ask an author. uh, And I will, in a moment, my big plan is to talk about your books, at least a couple of them that I think are particularly relevant now. But is there a book recently that you've read that you were either impressed or delighted by? Or uh, that you find yourself recommending to people? The, the answer is yes. I, and again, I, I'm passionate about strategy and strategic thinking. So I've read a book called The Lords of Strategy. And Chris, I've read it. Uh, I'm on my third read. Wow. And every time I pick up something interesting, something different, something unique. The other thing, I'm blessed to have a lot of friends who write. I get early manuscripts. Yeah. And, uh, and it's a fascinating glimpse into what people are thinking. And that book won't be released till September or October and, and how relevant it is now. Mm. So, so I'm a big fan of certain individuals. A guy named Hal Gregerson is the executive director at the MIT Leadership Center. He is masterful at asking great questions. Roger Martin is the dean of the Rodman School of Business at University of Toronto. Amy Edmondson has just written a book called The Fearless Organization. She's at Harvard Business School. Um, I mean, the, 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 list, the list goes on. I mean, there's some, there's some really sharp people that I, um, Alex Osterwalder is uh, with a company called Strategizer, a couple of Swiss professors. They've written a whole business model generation, you know, value, you know, canvas. Well, I want to I get back to your books as our time yeah. is fleeting here. Uh, you wrote Co-Create a couple of years ago. And um, I'd like to talk about how relevant that is today in executive coaching in the, in the COVID world. Uh, extremely. So the premise is your future won't be created, it will be co-created. Uh, and uh, the easiest example I give people uh, is if you think of you and your significant other, your spouse, we've, we've co-created a child, right? Number one, neither one of us could have done that alone, uh, usually. Number two, um, they never stop being your kids at 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50. So you have a long-term vested interest in their success and you want the best of each of you for them. Uh, 
particularly in this world where there's no playbook, no CEO of Matt has a crystal ball on what COVID is going to look like or have any kind of impact. Enormous opportunity to co-create, going back to innovation, co-create new products, new services, new business models with others who you like, you respect, you trust, who will similarly bring a unique value proposition to the table. So this is a phenomenal opportunity for reflection for executives we all coach to really ask what are our core comp capabilities? What is it that we do exceptionally well? What do we have no business doing? Because you cannot nurture something if you don't prune something. So how do we prune the stuff we have no business doing to really nurture some core capabilities? And how do we maneuver? How do we shift our value through co-creation with somebody else? I know our time is fleeting, Alex. I want to give you one more question, and then we'll we'll do some other work here. Have you got? Uh, I, I can't I'm, help I'm actually, here, right? uh, No, no. I'm. I'm. I want to say, like, for coaches, what's the if they're going to read one of your books right now and go on? You know, there's so many options. What would be the one to choose right now to read? Yeah, yeah. I would say relationship economics uh, is the one that talks about being more intentional and strategic about the relationships you choose to invest in. And I think for coaches, it'd be a really good foundational. Uh, uh, journey into kind of my thinking and my world. I used to do, uh, when I was in the corporate world, I used to do a thing I called lunchtime diplomacy, where I imagined myself like the Secretary of State and had to go visit all the other countries to make sure they knew that they were on my team. I love that. Uh, uh, sorry, Alex, I, I had good? a senior moment there. Um, I want to let people know. So the podcast is Curve Benders Podcast. The book that's coming out this fall is Curve Benders. You should start with the book Relationship Economics. The man is David Noor. You can find him everywhere, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, business, Twitter, all of those. But you can also go to his website, which is www.noor, group, G-R-O-U-P.com. That's Noor, N-O-U-R, group, G-R-O-U-P.com. Um, David, I want to, our time has gone so so quickly, and I have about a million things I'd love to talk to you about, but I want to give you the last minute or two of our time together. If you had a parting thought or a parting shot, something you'd like thousands of coaches to think about today, what would you have us, what would you leave us with? Uh, our work matters more than ever before. Your success heavily depends on uh, the quality of clients you choose to work with. And if you make those choices deliberately and intentionally and focus on fewer transactions and greater number of transformations, uh, you will succeed beyond your, your own, even your own imagination. That is beautiful. Amazing. I love that, I love that you've had a <laughs> present, brilliant answer for anything we've thrown at you today. Um, is there anything that we haven't said that you want to say or promote? Anything coming up? No, thank you for having me. It's uh, I'm obviously passionate about our profession. Uh, I think uh, great coaches, and you see it. You know, executives who are who are like world class athletes typically have great coaches they work with, and I'm proud to call my clients uh, friends, and and I'm proud to be around other professional coaches. 
Well, we're delighted to meet you. Thank you so much for the time that you've given us today and for the work that you're doing in the world. My son and I are on a tour of baseball parks that was suddenly interrupted this year, but uh, our big plan next year is to come to Atlanta. So if uh, if I'm in your town, I hope that you'll be around and we can grab a, a game or a cup of coffee. Would love to have you. As a matter of fact, the part of the world I come from, we get offended if you come to our town and not look us up for uh, for a coffee or a meal. Excellent. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks for my pleasure. Here. Thanks for having me. Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration, and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McAuliffe brings energy, insights, and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor, and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted, and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcAuliffe.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcAuliffe.com. Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, The Coaching Show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach. Let's talk about David and, you know, I got a ton from him especially around things I'm working on. And I know, and I actually want to talk about this because I know a lot of coaches that are have that I hear about that are having this issue. Mm -hmm. uh, Book writers, you mean? Authors? No, authors? I just want to start with the, I have the idea of like the niche that they want to work in because that's, oh. that's what he kind of, that's what actually I heard a lot about him saying, which was, you know, I know that when, when, when you're training coaches and I've been part of that process with you, people get wrapped up in that when they're getting started. Like, who am I going to coach? And they're like so mm -hmm. hyper-focused on this niche conversation that they forget that they need to learn how to coach first. And I think about this as sports. Like, you don't need to figure out if you're a three-point shooter or a rebounder when you start playing basketball. You just got to learn how to play basketball. As you get all of a sudden, when you get to high school and into college, you suddenly have a specialty that you focus in on. But we, in the, the coaching world, we're older, we're more developed. I think that we get, it's so easy to get distracted, right? On our website, on our branding and our marketing that we lose sight of becoming a great coach first. And I'm in that conversation at, at five years in where I've kind of bounced around with like, oh, I coach these people, I coach these people. And nothing's ever like stuck really. I've never got, my clients have been from all over and I've been very fortunate to have some great clients and challenging clients. And what I got from him was the idea, like, which really for me was I, um, he, he tapped on words that got me excited, which made me think about for other coaches, what words get you excited? Like he said things like, um, passionate about innovation, um, being a challenge to the status quo. 
Now, I'm not saying that that appeals to every coach, but you know me, like that's all, that's up my alley. Like I want to like do everything my own way. Mm-hmm. And when you said those words, it's like, okay, so now I know how to coach. Now, wait a minute, those are the words that got me excited. Now, how do I t- change that and go look for those people? And who are those people? And then he said, we convey credibility. A lot of us convey credibility, or he conveys credibility with the questions you ask and not the solutions you provide. And I think that's the flip on the head that a lot of coaches are doing is we're actually talking about all the solutions we can give you instead of the, the question, thinking about the questions we can ask that actually open things up for people. Does that, does, I mean, does that make you think about anything? Well, it it does. I had I had some different takeaways from our conversation with David, but what I'm getting from this right now actually has me want to ask you a question, not just to prove my credibility. But uh, what's so so we're clear, man. Remember what he said? He said the best thing about uh, we're products of the advice we take. Mm-hmm. The best piece of advice I ever got, and I'm talking about all of it, including parenting and everything, was I had a boss who once told me, "Every crisis has a beginning." a middle and an end. And it's hardest to remember that in the middle. Mm. And what he, what David's speaking to, and I think what you're speaking to, and the question that's mostly interesting me these days is, what do you want to come out of this with? And I'd love to know your answer. I know you're you're maybe distracted right now taking some notes. I was was just writing that down because I think that's great. Like, I think, I, I think I've heard you say that before, but I don't think I ever thought like, yeah. Um, what do I want to come out of this? Um, I mean, the first thing I think about is I want to, of, of when this is done five years from now, if somebody asked me, you know, who was I during this time, I want to think of my, I want to know that I was somebody who offered things to people without worrying about the money. Like, Hey, I created things to support people and knew that my financial thing would be okay. Like I have faith in that but everyone else doesn't have faith in that. So how can I support them to shift that? And that's the big thing I've been focused on right now, just giving away everything. Like how can I give away everything to help, to support and help people? Um, And then the other side is, and I think this is what, what David touched on for me is I don't want to do this business like everyone else has done it. It's not exciting for me. I, I don't want to sit in front. I love here. This is a great example. I love to coach walking around, standing up. I hate Mm. sitting down in a chair and having, it's just, it's just not how my energy is. And I think better when I'm moving around and pacing. Sometimes I have a ball or a baseball bat in my hands. And to me, I I can't be on a video screen, like plugged in. That's like, it's limiting who I am and the way my brain works. And so a lot of what I think about is how do we innovate this business? to give it access to more people? How do we continue to give it access to the high, the, the, you know, if you just want five clients, how do you get those? How do we bring it to businesses? How do we create things um, that people can use? I have been noticing that every time I, I create something with a client on the spot, I'm like, oh, answer this series of questions and I make it up. I'm like, oh my God, that's a tool. And yeah. then I hop on Canva and I make like a, a tool out of it. And I think that I'm building that future which is um, maybe coaching. I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it because it doesn't exist, but it's a different lens of personal development, a different lens of coaching where uh, maybe it's more interactive. 
maybe that's, but I don't know, because it doesn't exist yet. And I don't have it all figured out. I think, as you said to me the other day, you said, you know, you just keep kind of creating stuff and seeing what happens. And that I think is like, that's where I want to keep focusing on. That's what I can control. I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah. Well, what I heard you say was um, give away everything. In other words, not focusing so much on fulfilling a vision or a, or a future, but doing the work that's right in front of you, doing your coaching your way, which is walking around with a ball or a bat. By the way, don't hit strangers with the bat. Second, I heard that you want to, that you're automatically just sort of naturally creating and you're going to keep doing that and that you're not beholden to the notion of this is going to be coaching or this is going to be a class or this is going to be a book but you're just creating which and allowing yourself the freedom to do it your way and to see what comes of it which is a little bit what i heard in david's um piece not the not not all of it obviously he's got some things but you know when he talked about uh writing a book, he said three steps, but I heard a fourth, which is learn and grow, right? Mm -hmm. Find things that you're passionate about and inquire and discover and learn about them. And I have it that that's part of what you're doing. Yeah. He, he also said that, that I think any coach could implement right now is some version of, he said these 90 day sprints. Right. Wouldn't that be amazing? And I was like, why is, am I not doing that? Right. Yeah. 15, 20 minute bursts once a week or twice a week or something. You could break up an hour session into three 20 minuteers spread right. out on a Monday, Wednesday, and a Friday. Like, you know, really it's almost like a personal training version of, you know, a, of a coaching session. And I was like, Oh my God, there's so many people who, if all they had was that little, like, it's like, you're their coffee. Right. I would, um, I'd love to talk to you about maybe doing that in partnership only because I know that we've got some schedule stuff. Maybe you're not interested, but if you are, let's talk about that offline, about doing that in partnership as an experiment for the next 90 days. Yeah, we can talk about that. Oh, look how you got sad all of a sudden. No, okay, no, no, I love it. I, you know you know what's funny? I, what I love is I've been playing this thing and I don't know people, I always want partnership on things that I do. Like I mm -hmm. always want it. And then I always feel like I'm really bad at it. <laughs> like, I always feel like I'm like suck at the partnership thing. So I get excited. But then, and then that voice in my head is like, every time you do it, it's like the only partnership that really succeeded for me, I mean, has been this relationship on this podcast, but then the partnership that I had with, um, in writing my book with my editor has been yeah. an amazing one, but any other kind of group or like, Hey, let's be partners and start a business. It always is like, uh, we just, oh, yeah. Yeah, so. money money f's things up. So, uh, but but I love this sprint thing, and I would love to do it with you or alongside of you, so that we can both learn together. Yeah. Um, can I go back and answer the question that I asked you? Yeah, please. Because I, I saw something for myself, and it may not be interesting at all. But the uh, infrastructure. You know, I'm one of these people who's like, God damn it, why don't they fix or whatever you believe in? Uh, why don't they fix the roads now? Right. Mm -hmm. Like nobody's there. Everybody, this would be an awesome time. Fix all the roads, give some people some work, fix all the roads. And then mm -hmm. we come out of this and we got amazing new roads and we're all excited and we don't have to, you know, uh, merge because they're doing construction. Right. And it would go faster because they don't have to like deal with all the Michigas. So I'm thinking infrastructure outwardly. What I notice about myself is I'm also doing infrastructure projects here at home, right? Home gym, uh, some of the things outside, like every weekend we're doing some sort of house beautification project, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of infrastructure, but I haven't been doing infrastructure with this guy. I have sort of, you know, by, by rote, like 
coaching and therapy and those sorts of things. But I haven't like said, okay, I'm going to rebuild my roads, so to speak, personally, you know what I mean? Or take on a new practice or language or instrument or anything like that. And then I looked at my business and I thought, wow, I have more interest in continuing down the same road than I do in creating a better or new road. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, to, sorry, I'm beating the metaphor to death and making it twist, but the, I love this notion of new offerings because I've got sort of a skunk works going on about a couple of ideas I had, but it's not a rejiggering of the whole thing. Do you know what I mean? And how cool it would be. Cause when I started this company, I was, I was, bold about asking big important people to sit down with me and tell me what they thought of how they could improve my idea but i haven't done that in years now i'm like oh i think we should stick with what we got right instead of that so that's i'm really spurred towards that now like who could i get in with and talk about what's possible in the future of coaching and coach training so thanks yeah uh, and i think you're it's i think when we're in i think that's actually harder i think when for me, I know for clients and for you, like I, I, it feels more challenging to recreate something than to create it the first time. Like the first time had its own set of challenges, I'm sure. Right, right. But like now you have this thing and you want it to be, you're looking for, you know, it's not a road, right? It's not just like repave it and, and everybody, that's all great. Nobody's like, oh, I, I missed that pothole. I wish you hadn't repaved that road. <laughs> but but people will do that with what you've created and you do that with you, what you've created. And I think that's the, you know, here's a good example. You be, you guys have been doing a lot of online learning with accomplishment coaching. Mm -hmm. And when I was talking to my coach, who's part of the team about this, and we were just kind of sharing back and forth and he was saying how great it was going. The first thing I thought was, but my favorite part of going through accomplishment coaching was like the in-person human part right so i'm like no don't get rid of the pothole right he exactly. saying that's the future he was that he was just sharing and i think like how do you when you're redeveloping something you have to really like what are the things that people love that made it great and what are the things that we can bring in to like have it all work together which i think is more challenging than creating something with a blank slate right a piece of paper that's white and you can draw anything on it, great. But now once you have something drawn on it, now what? Like, and you, you know, it's, it's a, you have to work with what was already there. Yeah, exactly. And um, what I'm seeing is I need to put in, you know, the cool thing about a therapist or a coach is that every week I'm in a conversation about what else or what could you do or what are you doing, right? But how great it would be to have once a month or once a week or something, a regular structure for let's blow everything up and, and reimagine it, right? Let's blow everything up and reimagine it. Let's blow everything up and reimagine it. And it's like, wow, that would be super cool. And you almost need, um, you know, I don't know all your processes, but for me, the thing I hear is like, you almost need people that aren't in the, in the, like, um, the, Right. <laughs> Almost like the, the, the tribal council of elders. Yeah, because exactly. the tribal council of elders is always going to see what they see. Right. And it's like if every week or two there was like people that never are in and go, what do you think? And they came in and they were like, oh, this is, you know, and their, their whole job was to blow it all up. And then they left, right. you know. Um, I think of that with, uh, I don't know if you've been, have you been watching this uh, documentary about the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan? No, I know everybody is, but I haven't. Yeah. 
the one of the coolest things is right they they started to improve uh when Doug Collins was their coach and Michael Jordan was in like his fourth fifth year or whatever and then they 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 got further in that they'd ever gone in the playoffs and then they fired Doug Collins and brought in Phil Jackson and and it was like who fires a coach that just just won right and and the thing that I noticed that Phil Jackson did beyond like all sorts of things is he he just like turned the the snow globe upside down it was like nope we're gonna take the ball out of Michael Jordan's hands we're gonna like implement an offense that doesn't actually make sense on the surface to anyone involved we're gonna bring in guys that maybe seem like they fit maybe they don't he's gonna make them do yoga and all sorts of things that these guys are not accustomed to and yet he didn't make anybody worse in the process it was like he somehow was able to keep all those things right michael jordan didn't get worse because of this he actually got better and everyone else got better he imploded the whole thing but he imploded it and then built a quickly a better even better building right which is stunning um one of the things i wanted to talk about about that is and I don't think this is the subject of the documentary, but you remember Michael Jordan went to baseball? Mm-hmm. That's badass, yo. Like <laughs> that guy, that guy was the top of his game, literally ev- in every way, right? Mm-hmm. Image, money, performance, right? The top of his game. And he started at the freaking bottom or arguably middle bottom, right? Yeah. Of an entirely different sport. And I'm, I was so curious about what had him do that. And I assert that it was because he wanted to master something else, right? It's like if you get really good at, I don't know, a video game or chess or checkers or something, you want to go take on another game, right? You don't want to keep playing. Yeah, I don't, you know, I I want I don't I haven't got that like I haven't got that far in the documentary, so I don't well, know. I don't what, know if they yeah, if they I don't know, know if they touch on it. I'm sure they will because they're touching on everything. Oh cool. But the thing that I that it makes me think of when you say that is um Michael Jordan wanted to be the best that there was, right? And the thing that was gonna make him the best was he was committed to I will outwork anyone. And if that's the way you live life. I'm not saying that outworking anyone is the way to live life, but if that is the way you're going to live your life, then you could apply that to anything. Well, I want to be a great, I'm going to outwork anyone on the baseball field. I want to be an investor. I'm going to outwork anyone. And that to me, if that's the way you want to go, there's a lot of costs associated with that, right? Outworking everyone. There's a, you know, they, they, he talks about, and Kobe Bryant's talked about this when, uh, you know, being on the, like leaving their families and just being on the court all day long and just shooting and shooting and shooting and they make sacrifices. Um, but to me, you can apply it to anything. And I think that as human beings, like a lot of the, that for me, for the people that I know, for clients, I don't know that a lot of people have made that commitment to like, what's that thing that's going to get you where you want to go? For Michael Jordan, it was, I'm going to outwork everyone. For me, I think the thing that I've learned is it's integrity and commitment. Hmm. That's like just come in the last, and the thing that is, is getting reflected back to me now. People are seeing it through the vegan experiment that I'm doing and different things that I'm going, oh my God, this is my, and then authenticity. And I think that commitment and integrity goes back to authenticity, which is a big piece of what I'm up to. Um, But it's like, what are you people that are listening, you know, listening to this? It's like, what are you, what's that thing that's going to get you there? What's the train you're going to ride to your success? And like with David, it was like innovation, reimagining, um, you know, leading uh, and challenging the status quo, these kinds of things. 
and Michael Jordan, it's I'm going to outwork anyone. Mm-hmm. What, what is it for you? What's the thing? And there, maybe there's one that got you the accomplishment coaching like 20 years. Cause that's huge. Yeah. But what is it? What's the thing that, that you can see there that you could take to the, with the next thing that you do? It's interesting. The, the way I got here has nothing to do with the skill set, right? So the way I got here was by I, uh, somebody, this was again, the product of the advice you take. Somebody told me a long time ago, don't be the smartest person in the room, be in the room mm-hmm. with people way smarter than you. So I took that to heart. And a lot of what I've created, I've created by listening to other people and seeking out wise, you know, wisdom and counsel and serenity and different things, but like seeking it and listening. So there's something about that and being someone who strangely, because it is not my personality type, uh, collaborates or at least listens to others and is contributed to. The skill set of coaching and the skill set that I bring now is I can keenly get most people pretty quickly. And so I can reflect them to themselves and they're like, nobody's ever seen me like that, right? (laughs) Which is fun and heartwarming and delightful and intense and connected. But it's interesting because it's the it's kind of the opposite of maybe it's an evolution of that skill set, but it's not a skill set that's going to necessarily get me to the next thing, right? I got to go back to being one of the people in the room who's not the smartest one, right? And mm-hmm. surround myself with people and like that. And it, it, so this has been really helpful for me. I'm sorry that that it wasn't better for you, <laughs> which is what I used to say to people I dated. Um, uh, yeah. So, well, it's funny because what I hear you saying is you're, I, I see it as the same thing. What made you be able to create accomplishment coaching and that, that whole business model and, and do the amazing work you've done there was actually going into a room and not, and not being the quote unquote smartest and taking from everyone smarter than you. And it actually sounds like it's still the same thing. Yeah, you're able to see people, but in you being able to see them, you can maybe see their brilliance too and keep pulling it out. Um, it's funny that that's your, that your thing. I've said for a long time, I want to be the ugliest and least intelligent person in every room I'm in. Nice. That would be an awesome room to be in. <laughs> um, and you're I, really working on it. No, I'm kidding. I'm playing. And, and that, but the, with that thing is like, you know, a lot of people, you notice like people don't want to be that. They want to be the best in the room the most accomplished, the most successful, the smartest. And I'm like, I mean, that's just, I get from your ego why you would want that. But from what do you, you don't get to learn anything. You don't get to see anything. That's my favorite part about doing these podcasts with you and my own is like, I'm like, man, all these people are, I'm going to use this liberty. Like they're all better than me in the sense of like, they do things that I don't do. They've done things I don't do. They know about things that I don't do that I just I actually started instead of just writing notes and getting rid of them, I actually created a new little like notebook that's nice. just pod, it's just for podcasts. And and all my podcasts go into one book and I write all the note like all these notes. And and I haven't thought about any I've just been like, oh, this is for me. But at the same time, I'm like, there's like brilliance in the, this little book that I'm creating. There is. Hey, our time is coming to an end here. Uh, anything you want to leave us with today or anything you want to tell the people? 
I think I just want to reiterate what David was hitting on because I think it's the thing that coaches need to hear right now and they need and they need to be doing it because if they're not they're not going to be here as coaches is if they're not trusting like who they are their intuition who they are as coaches what they're committed to who they authentically are as human beings and they're not starting to create things if they're just like well the model is four times a month for one hour and we do it over zoom and it's the same that's great but things are shifting and changing every day. And so you can do that, but how are you gonna stand out in a crowd and in a crowd that's shifting and changing? Like what is authentically unique about you and you as a coach and you and what you're committed to that you could create something that actually is like, this is my thing. This is what I hang my hat on. This gets me excited to share this with people. Mm, Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And I'd love to uh, invite people to think about Michael Jordan you're the best in the world at something. And then you start baseball and <laughs> invite you to consider whatever you're already great at, take on something new uh, and what you want to leave this pandemic experience with. All right, my friend, thank you very much. This was delightful, powerful, mm-hmm. useful. Have a great day. And I thank you, dear listener, for being with us. Remember Each and every week, The Coaching Show brings you people out on the cutting edge of coaching, people doing something interesting, wacky, or something you need to know about. I thank you for listening right here on Accomplishment Media or wherever fine podcasts are available. And we will talk to you next week. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Show. We will talk to you next week.